Imagine that you have a perfectly normal life that you are perfectly happy with. You love your job, your family, your friends, and the thought of changing your life in any way has never occurred to you. But then, something happens. Something that is so significant that it changes absolutely everything. The conditions of living for the migrants get worse every day. Human rights groups and local authorities have criticized Greece for overcrowding and poor conditions. And then there was this little baby, about three months old, that was just handed over to me. And she was freezing cold. Um, she wasn't moving. And at first I wasn't sure if she was dead or alive. In this episode, we are meeting Truda, a woman who, as a result of an eye-opening travel experience, suddenly realized that the life she had could never be the same again. This is Traveler Stories, a podcast brought to you by SAS. In this season, you will meet people who traveled abroad and suddenly found themselves in a situation that changed the course of their lives. If I do end up suddenly old in a rocking chair, I will at least remember this thing. The world is the best classroom you can ever visit in your entire life. None of this would have happened if it hadn't been for that Thai boxing gym. I got this physical reaction. I can understand people now saying that they got some kind of religious call. I'm actually getting goosebumps as I'm telling this again. This story begins in Greece. Well, I see Greece as my second home country. Um, when I go to Greece, I go home. This is Truda. She is a 48-year-old woman from Norway. I lived in Greece, in Athens, for eight years. Some of the best years of my life, I would say. I, I was married to a Greek man. I met him on the, the island of Rhodes in 1990. I was actually just passing through the island for a few days. I was going to move on to Israel and work in a kibbutz for a few months by myself. Well, I was 19 and <laughs> I had so much fun on the island of Rhodes and I met him there and I stayed there. After eight years living in Greece, through the return to Norway. Here, she established a life with a new husband and her three children. Because Greece was a second home and such an important part of her life, she continued going there on holiday. Well, what I love most about Greece is actually, you know, the people living there. Um, the friendliness, uh, the hospitality. Uh, Greece has the most beautiful beaches. It has great mountains. You can go skiing in winter. Best nature. <laughs> the good smells from the, from the trees, the pine trees. Um, all these things together make it really beautiful. As much as through the loved Greece, she was very content living her life in Norway. And I had the best job in the world. I was working in a big telecom company in Norway, and I have, you know, five kids, and life was really, really good. I had no plans to change my career. Uh, you know, I had my husband. Um, life was good. Life was good. But then, one moment in August 2015 turned through this life upside down. Uh, it was a Friday afternoon. I had just finished my first week at work after my holidays. Um, I was listening to the radio. I was actually sorting out the clothes in my daughter's closet. And I was feeling a bit ashamed because she had so many things that she never had, you know, managed to use until she had grown out of it. And I was listening to this debate on the radio where 
They were discussing whether Norway could assist in this refugee crisis to handle 8,000 refugees in the next three years. And they were saying at the same time that Greece has received 130,000 refugees uh, in six months. 130,000 refugees in the last six months. And this wasn't the only shocking thing she was hearing. The the discussion was all about numbers. Um, you know, it didn't say anything about who they, these people were, what they were escaping from, just numbers. And that's maybe what, you know, hit me. Their children, their mothers as well, they, you know, they have left their home um, and they left everything they had. They are not numbers. They have their own history. As the news reporter goes on and on about statistics, numbers and rubber boats, something happens to Trude. I got this physical reaction. I, I can't explain what it was, but I can understand people now saying that they got some kind of religious call. I'm not religious myself, but it was some kind of, you know, coming from somewhere else, something I could not control. Uh, it was just like someone hit me uh, on the shoulder and said, you have to do something. Um, and I started shaking and I started crying and I just realized I have to go to the Greek islands and see if there's something I can do. This sudden thought makes Trude go to the phone and call her husband. He was in the mountains picking berries uh, and I say to him, I have to go to Greece and I have to go very soon. And he was like, but we just got back from a holiday in Greece, you know, we'd been there for two weeks. I was saying, yeah, I know, but I have to go and see how the refugees um, are being handled, how, who they are, how the Greek islands can cope with this. And he was really surprised because I have never worked with any humanitarian work before. But he could hear in my voice that this was something I had to do. This was very important. And he probably heard that he couldn't stop me anyway. So he was really supportive and, and said, you, you have to do what you have to do. So at this point, I think we can all agree that there is a darker side to Greece. It is currently the temporary residence for tens of thousands of refugees who are living under miserable and undignified conditions. All these huge questions have risen in Trude's mind. And to her, it's completely impossible to shake them off. And it makes her act instantly. That same afternoon, I started a Facebook group because I, kn I knew I have to go down to Greece and I have to see if I can help in any way. So I called it Dropenihava, and then I invited my oldest daughter as the first member to this group. She's half Greek as well, and I explained to her what I wanted to do. And I think she was just as surprised as my husband uh, about my, my will to do this. I started invited, inviting friends, and I said, I'm going to go to Greece, I'm going to see if I can help. If you want to you know, be a part of it, if you have any used clothes or, clothes or shoes or anything you don't need anymore, give it to me and I can take it with me. Not everyone can travel and leave everything they have, but everyone can do something. During her eight days of meticulous planning, she has collected over 130 kilos of clothes to bring to Lesvos. Not quite the average tourist suitcase. And then she's off to Greece. Uh, first of all, I love flying and I always find peace when I sit in the seat and I put on the belt and, you know, I have nowhere to go. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's when I really re relax. Um, so when I was sitting on the plane, I was, that's the first moment I was, you know, starting to, to think about what I was about to do. Um, and I, I felt very 
curious on the situation, of course, I was going to meet, but uh, I also started feeling a bit of fear for what I would see and thinking maybe I'm not capable of doing this. I don't have any in- experience at all. So I started feeling a bit naive as well. I mean, maybe this is too much. <laughs> it's no wonder Trude is feeling anxious. She is about to place herself in the center of the largest migration in Europe since World War II, and she has no solid plan as to how she's going to handle it. Through the lands in Lesvos. It's late on Saturday evening. She has two trolleys, 14 bags, 130 kilos of luggage. It's dark. Trude is driving over the mountain to the northern part of the island. There are no streetlights at all. After a short while, she starts seeing refugees walking along the side of the road. In the middle of the night, they're walking, they're carrying their small children. Some were carrying their old parents. I saw injured people, and they were all walking like, you know, hundreds of people. Uh, and I realized later they were walking during the night because it wasn't that hot as it was in the daytime. So that was the best time to move. The closer to the village through the gets, the more she realizes what she's getting herself into. I saw people sleeping on the streets, on the pavements, and I had to drive really, really careful not to hit anyone. Seeing firsthand what was happening in Greece, Trude was experiencing all these anxious feelings and questions start to arise in her head. What am I doing here? This is, I'm, you know, a woman from Norway um, thinking I can do anything about this situation. It's really, really naive of me. (laughs) On the first night, she experiences so much fear, but it doesn't last for long. That's the only time I felt scared. That was before I started meeting the people and talking to the people. The next day, Trude meets an English couple who live permanently on the island. They have experienced the crisis firsthand for many years and so welcome her with open arms. After introducing myself and telling them what I have brought with me, they said, great, you can be a lot of help. Uh, And after just a few minutes, they receive a call saying that a lot of boats are on their way in uh, to a particular area. Nearby, Trude starts filling up her car with water bottles and diapers. They told me you can be the baby uh, car. (laughs) She follows their car and they receive the first boat together. Uh, That was a very special moment and I remember the first boat so well. Um, It was arriving in a very difficult spot. It was really rocky and steep. And there was this old lady uh, around 75 years old. She had some really bad injuries. Her legs were really wounded and infected, and you could smell a long way. And she couldn't walk, you know, by herself. And then there was this little baby, about three months old, that was just handed over to me. And she was freezing cold. Um, She wasn't moving. And at at first I wasn't sure if she was dead or alive. Um, I had her in my arms. I started rubbing her skin to get, you know, the blood circulation working. Uh, And then I changed her clothes and her diaper hadn't been changed for 24 hours because they'd been hiding in the woods on the other side. And finally she started getting color in her skin again and got some food for my mother and then she was okay.
The boats were arriving from Turkey and were mostly carrying Syrian refugees. It's important for you to know that these rubber boats coming to shore were filled way over capacity. The boats had around 60 people in each boat, and it was made for maybe 15. So people were sitting so, you know, cramped together. Um, it's not possibility to move at all during the hours it took to cross. Uh, boats were often filled with water because it was so low on the water because of the weight. Uh, people had to throw the luggage, you know, in the sea because it started taking in water. Uh, and it was a really scary situation, especially for the children that were there for hours. During the three days that Trude was in Lesvos, the 10-kilometer stretch of beach she was working on received 1,500 people every day. That's 1,500 people every day on a 10-kilometer stretch of beach. That's a lot of people in a small space. I, I remember so many you know, people when they got across, uh, they were so happy. Most people were so happy. They were kissing the ground. They were taking selfies. You know, they were calling their family that might be still in Syria, saying that they're safe. What surprised me when I started talking to the people that arrived on the shores were, you know, how much they were like us, highly educated. Uh, a lot of people have, you know, been traveling a lot before. It was very easy to communicate with them and, 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 and to share stories with them. Trude is getting to know a lot of the people. And there is one man in particular that makes a very big impact on her. He could have been Scandinavian. He was blonde with blue eyes. He spoke fluent English. The gentleman was a businessman from Damascus. He had just arrived in a boat together with his wife and two daughters, five and seven years old. The man opened up to Trude and told her his story. And he told me that just a few days earlier, uh, the regime had taken the youngest daughter, three years old, and killed her. and they were forcing him to join their forces. He refused to do that. He didn't want to be a part of this war. It wasn't his war. And he had no other choice than to take the rest of the family and, and to leave, leave the country within a few hours. So they had nothing with them. They'd been a wealthy family back in Damascus, and they came with nothing. Trude's three days in Lesvos eventually came to an end, and it was time to go home. When I was on the plane going home to Norway, that was like the first moment when I could sit down, you know, peace and quiet and, and, and think about what I had been through the last few days. And while she is on that plane, she figures out exactly what she needs to do. I can't go back to my work uh, right now. I have to have something to finish or at least get the, the humanitarian work on this island started. Trude decided to mobilize and make Dropnehava more than just a Facebook page. It wasn't long after she made it a proper relief organization that she sent her first team to work within the Greek refugee camps. Now, four years later, Dropnehava has coordinated more than 6,000 relief workers from 60 different countries. As it stands, there is still a huge need for volunteer workers as war continues to cause millions of people to leave their homes. In Syria, there's been a war for many, many years now. And um, 
millions of people have had to escape the countries. A lot of people have also are internally displaced and have just left their homes, but are still within the country. But uh, for the millions that have actually left, um, even though some say that now it's getting safe to return, it's not because it's still the same regime um, that is handling uh, you know, the situation in the country. And for the people that have left, it's not safe at all. Trude made it her life's work to provide support and spread information about the lives of refugees and migrants. Being on this journey that late summer in 2015, she saw a reality that she couldn't ignore. This travel changed everything because it, I think it was a travel into the reality of the world for the first time. Without this trip, I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have seen what I saw and I wouldn't have changed my mindset and I would definitely not have changed my career. So um, it was a really life-changing moment. Not only did this trip make her a full-time humanitarian, it has also changed her views on life in general. I, I see the world differently. I see my own life differently. Um, I'm opening up to not only refugee situations, but I'm, I've become more aware of all kinds of you know, changes in the world and political sit- situations. And I don't have the wish to go shopping anymore and, uh, and to have a lot of things, you know. It's, uh, I-, I can manage it so much less than what I could before. And maybe that's why it's so important to travel. Sometimes we need to travel to evolve, to change and make change. To, f- to learn about the, the world, you actually have to be out there and you have to meet people from other countries. You, have, you can't sit you know, at home in your own living room and think that you know, know the world. So traveling actually connects people and, and make us able to understand each other and cooperate. 